And as I walked back to the changing rooms, someone shouted frotch. I looked around and spat right in my face. I Lovely. Thought, well, that was nice. Thanks yeah. for that. Well, you're not entertained. One of the best nights of my life, becoming world champion. Got that green and gold belt that Mike Tyson had, that Muhammad Ali had, Sonny Liston. I've got that belt. That's me. I'm world champ. I made it. It's the fighters that stop the fight from happening, not the promoters, in my opinion. I think Tyson Fury, if he really wants to fight Usyk, why is he chucking in a 70-30 split? In your view, he doesn't want the fight. No, his bluff was called and he, he didn't think he could get ready in six weeks. This is Up Front with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. And more importantly, so might you. Joining me in today's episode a man who never shied away from the biggest fights, one after the other, a four-time world champion, a well-deserved Hall of Famer, and now a brilliant pundit calling the shots from outside the ropes, the Cobra, Carl Froch. Welcome to Upfront. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. 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 pleasure to be here. I'm in an invidious, difficult position, Carl, because it's very rare that I actually go onto one of these um, shows with a deep-seated admiration for the person that I'm speaking to. So I find myself in this position of going, I really quite like this guy. And most of the time I'm going in there going, okay, what can I talk about? How can I get them into a difficult position? What, yeah. inf what information can I get out of them? I'm going to do that with you anyway, but it yeah, comes from so a position yeah, go for of, um, of admiring the, yeah. the work that you've done, admiring all the stuff that you've achieved in your life and coming from that position. And of course, from your point of view, you have the, uh, the wonderful honor of having my admiration. <laughs> amongst all the things you've achieved yeah isn't that something to be a it is yeah wonderful um feel so privileged I, I hope you do mate <laughs> i hope you do but one of the things i was surprised because anyone that listens to you watches the way you fault um watches listens to your punditry now i mean you don't you don't pull any punches both metaphorically and literally but one of the things i was surprised to hear was about you finding it difficult to believe in your own ability or confidence um during your amateur career mm. is that is that right it was yeah i was i was quite i used to i didn't cope with nerves really that well i was quite nervous like because i i loved boxing i loved competing right but i i, I just hated losing i wanted to win so badly I'd, I'd make a big deal about getting in so probably no more than anybody else but because i would be open about it and talk about it i'd say yeah i was nervous i was scared i used to but you talked about being in uh, in situations where you were in a dressing room and you wanted to run away yeah, there was, and not was not that fight? Well, go through was my head. More I coming about saying about losing. I'm fighting in ten minutes. Yeah, and then what if I just didn't come out the? What if I didn't come out the changing rooms? What yeah. if I just? Why am I here? What am I doing? You know what I mean? Because I got back into boxing uh, later when I was 19. As a kid, I enjoyed it, but it was when I got back into it. Because at 15 years old, I stopped boxing when I moved yeah. to Newark, which I was saying earlier when I got the pub in Newark. I stopped boxing. I didn't box for four years. Did you do anything? I mean, because you like football like me, don't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a massive football fan. Right. I'm into it because obviously You're not in Forest. Forest. Yeah, yeah, Forest fan. I go down to the ground now and again, but yeah. not not like an avid football fan. Like right. I like all sports. You know what I mean? I like golf. I'm, I'm into tennis quite a lot. I play quite a bit of tennis. Um, a bit of paddle. I like paddle. I don't know if you're any good at that paddle. I've heard. You don't stories. know if I'm any good at it. Yeah, I've heard I'm, you play, but I'm remarkably good at it. Yeah, and, well, I've, and, I've, and I don't like to say these things, but. I'm nothing um, like giving yourself a bit of credit around well, the game. Well, no, yeah, I think, you, I think no, 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 no bosses, play, no bosses like... going to give me any credit, so I'll give it to myself. <laughs> I think that uh, paddle tennis, I, I, I love paddle tennis. I think it's a great sport. It's, it's a, a really great, good sport. Yeah, it's, it's a great cool. leveler. I've played with 20. Listen, I would happily give you a whooping at paddle anytime. I'd really enjoy that. Yeah, Carl, that concerns me that in this instance, you might be writing checks you're not going to be able to cash. If you want to play paddle, yeah. and we've got it here, it's indelible. So what you say here now, We'll, 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 like what, what you say in life echoes through eternity. You sound like you can play that. Like I can play. You're backing no, yourself. I've spent, you? I spent, oh, I love uh, as my producer Luke knows, I spent, when we were in Qatar doing the World Cup, we got to play with a whole bunch of people. I've no doubles nonsense, singles, cross court. Yeah, but see, what? That, the paddle's a doubles game. It is, yeah. It is. Yeah. But so I play why do you want to play singles for? Play well, you, think you can impose yourself across the yeah, court. Yeah, but if you beat me with a doubles partner, I'm just going to say, oh, your doubles partner was uh, the listen, reason you like I was in um, Qatar and, um, and playing it, uh, when I flew, before I flew over there, Nasser Khalafi, who owns PSG and was obviously a, quite an influential person in Qatar during the World Cup, says, I love playing paddle. So I said, I love playing paddle. Let's have a few knocks. Yeah. So we go over there, start playing paddle tennis, and all of a sudden he goes, shall we invite this person? Shall we invite that person? Shall we invite mm. the other person? Okay. So we end up with Iniesta, Ronaldo, David Beckham, Gary Neville, um, Kaka, all these people playing. And then there's this fellow on the other side of the court, and he's got these big ears, right? And they're all sort of cauliflowered, right? and he's, absolutely shit 
So I said to um, Kalafi, who's he? Fucking useless. And he said, it's Khabib. Do you, you want to tell him that he's fucking useless? I said, no, I think I'll keep that to myself. I think I'll keep the UFC, UFC, <laughs> UFC champion of the world. Yeah. yeah, and he's a beast. But no, I love paddle. So yeah. if you fancy your chances of a game of paddle in England or in Marbella, Love that. I will I will I will beat former super middleweight champion like he stole something. Hey listen, you're talking about it. Oh well mate, I can so, I can back that one up. Going back to you and your development, obviously eight ninety-six fights, and I'm going back to I'm picking back up on that thrust of nervousness and confidence and belief. Yeah. Because to have fought that many fights yeah. and to have won ninety percent of them, mm. I can't square the circle in my mind as to this anxiety or this feeling of apprehension or nervousness mm. that you felt? And is it more to do with the fear of losing than the fear of being in the ring or the consequences as a result of it? It's the losing. It's the losing. It's letting someone down right. and letting people down. Because so, my dad really right. wanted me to box and he really enjoyed watching me box. Right. And my mum was a big fan of that. And a lot of, when you box, a lot of people come to watch you. And I just like, almost not even embarrassment, but maybe a bit of embarrassment of losing and thinking oh, yeah. I've got to go back now as a loser because I lost a couple of fights as a kid which you do it's part of part mm. of learning it's not win or lose it's, it's win and learn the hell's learning which is good but in many ways you never want to get beat especially in boxing especially when you turn professional as well because you want to keep that that unbeaten record and have that air of, of invincibility about you which isn't so much protected as much now certainly not in the UFC mm. but in pro boxing you don't really want to get beat but yeah, I mean, I think I made a bigger deal of it than what it was before I got in the ring. And then when the bell went after round one, I was fine. That was it. I'm in yeah. my flow and it was all gone. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 was, I was vocal about saying, yeah, I was quite nervous. And I think I let myself down in a couple of fights because I was so nervous. Because rather than get stuck in and stand and have a fight, right. when I used to box for England particularly, because you want to perform and you want to get picked for the next tournament or you want to go to the Olympics. And if you lose, you're not going to get picked. And then the lottery funding came in and you want to get on the funding. So you want to get right. paid so you don't have to work. So you can... You can just box, and there's a lot of pressure on you. Because so, it wasn't a lack of, so it wasn't a lack of belief. I tell you why. Because it wasn't so much a lack of belief. Now, when I spoke to Johnny Nelson, he had a, a, a difficult period, hmm. and in order to get to where he went on, he went through a journey of losing fights and being ridiculed mm. by audiences and called the worst fighter and embarrassed by the yeah. audience. And so he had so a forth. bad time as a professional, though. That's my point. Fights, yeah. That's my point. And yet he attributed, and I'm going to equate it to you because one of the things I understand that that it seems less prevalent in this conversation than I thought it was going to be mm. because I, I thought there was a, a, an inherent lack of belief. It's not about a lack of belief with you. It's about perhaps a fear of losing, yeah. which I, I actually relate to because yeah. I hate doing anything badly mm. and I hate losing in anything I participate yeah. in, as you will find out when we play paddle. Um, <laughs> yeah, because when you lose, you're in the <laughs> All right, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. I'm, 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 again, it's indelible. We're not going to get away from this, Carl. Um, yeah. when, you, um, when you look back on fights that defined you, I mean, there's lots of them for me, but you've got to pick one, Carl, for the purpose of this question. Um, well, the fight that people remember me for would probably be the George Groves fight at Wembley Stadium with all them fans. Yeah, but I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you and what do you think defines you? Um, what defines me as a fighter? But the Pascal fight... Was a battle, wasn't it? Was, was a fight where I still lacked belief. I still didn't know if I belonged at world level. And right. um, it was for the world title. But going into that ring with Pascal, I had a great training camp in Ireland with... Um, my coach, Rob McCracken, and Tyson Fury was out there for a few weeks. It wasn't until I woke up the next day and saw that that green and gold WBC belt on the bottom on the chair at the bottom of my, be of my bed in the bedroom that I realised I'm actually world champion. Mm -hmm. Wow, I've actually I've actually done it. I'm world champion. Did and it change the mindset? It did. Yeah, yeah. I, that I, I really started to think to myself, right, you've got to you've got to walk to the ring now, believing in yourself, not just start believing in yourself after round one. You know, and enjoy it and realize that you're here because you belong it but i even made an excuse for myself that actually jean pascal wasn't a champion it was a it was a vacated title from kawasaki vacating right. the belt i mean i'd say that fight would sum me up as a person but i don't think it would define me because i think you've got to come through a bit of adversity during a fight and i think the the jermaine taylor fight to be able to climb off the canvas take a shot like i took i took an uppercut then i took a right hand and got flattened in round three and i took my count took me eight count but to then dig in and still still get outboxed for three or four rounds and still be like under pressure but still manage to somehow get him on his back foot and hit him and hurt him and get him in round 12 and and force the stoppage when i had to stop him 
in the last round. If I didn't stop him and didn't beat him, I would have lost my world title. I would have thought the second Kessler fight. Kessler, I mean, the Kessler. It's remarkable. Brilliant. Remarkable yeah. fights. Brilliant fight, but I'd already fought him once. I'd lost the first one in a close yeah. fight nope. in Denmark. I wasn't quite my, at my best because I took a bit of weight off the day before. People say to me when I, when I do this tour with George Groves and we do a Q&A and people want, in the audience want to know what's, what's your favourite fight, what's your best fight, what's your hardest fight, which fight do you love the most? Mm. And I'm, I'm in a position where I've had such a privileged career, and I say privileged in the sense that I've been able to fight the best of the best time after time, back to back, and have so many amazing nights. What about this? Again, I use the... Example of Steve Collins and Roy Jones Jr. Steve um, has, seems to have this real irritation that the fight with Roy Jones Jr. never happened. Can't quite understand it himself. And you have uh, a similar situation um, with Joe Calzaghe. You beat Robin Reed. That, that should necessarily give you an opportunity to fight Joe Calzaghe. And he steps up to light heavyweight, doesn't he? And there's always been this analysis. And it seems like a bit of rancor, a bit of um, irritation between you and him about the nature of what could have happened, what would have happened, mm. and of course the comparisons. Yeah, Is that something clear and present? I mean, I saw something you did the other day with a couple of other guys. I think it was Matthew Macklin. It might have been a while ago where you were talking about the uh, top five super middleweights or top ten super middleweights, or it might have been top five. I think it was and, top and you put yourself five. above Joe Calzaghe, and I'm not suggesting you oh, should yeah, or you shouldn't. quite a while ago. Yeah. yeah. So, well, listen, I've got to back myself to beat yeah. Calzaghe. If I, if, in my head, if I fought Calzaghe, the fight could have gone one of two ways. So it would have either been... Kawasaki beats me on points, yeah. or I beat Kawasaki by knockout. I don't think I could have beat him on points. I think he was too fit, right. too busy with his work rate. And it would have been tough to knock out because he's very tough. So it's a fight that would have been difficult for me to win. But I think when I fought John Pascal that night, on that performance, I think that performance knocks out Joe Kawasaki. But the reason we'll never find out and we'll never know is because Joe Kawasaki decided to vacate the WBC title rather yeah. than defend against me. I was mandatory for his belt, and he waited until the final day. I think you can hold it for. Why like, do you think that is? Almost over a year. Well, I just think that it was a, a fight for Joe Calzaghe that would have been a tough one in his head. He's thinking, right, this is a tough fight for me. Froch is unbeaten. He's just beat Pascal. He's obviously a hard fight. He's a, I'm not going to knock Froch out. No one can knock him out. Like mm. he's shown time and time again that he can take punches. And Calzaghe wasn't a massive puncher, so he would have known he would have had to work hard to get the win. I want to pick up on something about you and your. Resilience, because it is a remarkable resilience that you have, and a bit. You you commented the other day on Ryan Garcia and um, Tank Davis, mm. and the fact that you know you got to suck it up and get up Absolutely. and get on with it. But your yours is, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass because you're sat here. But yours is remarkable. The I mean, the some of the some of the fights that you've been in. And the manner of those fights, you know, having to climb off the floor against Jermaine Taylor, having to go through a war with Jen Pascal, having to go through absolute thunderous battles that you had with Mikel Kessler that were just at times slugfests mm. of sheer and utter character. It has to be more than just biting down on the gum shields, doesn't it? I mean, there has to be, you know, the belief system that's been installed in you by Rob McCracken. Mm. But this absolute unequivocal belief that, and, and resilience that you show has to be just more than belief, doesn't it? I, I don't know if it's just an innate toughness or or maybe maybe drawing on on just, I don't know, from, from tough training camps and tough fights and, and maybe scrapping at school or having my big brother beat me up as a kid and just, just coming back from like street fights as a kid and then we've got somebody who's twice the size of me and there's two or three of them and, I, and I've, ended up, I've ended up in a, in a thorn bush at first with, with because i just found it remarkable carl and, I mean, and when i'm in the boxing ring there's nobody hitting you from behind and there's nobody sneaking up on you they're in front of you and it's it's fair there's a referee there if, if someone throws an illegal blow so when i'm in there and it, it gets tough and it gets it gets hard and i get hit with a shot and i'm maybe a little bit dazed or i'm hurt to the body it's only a body shot a guy's got gloves on you know what i mean i'm going home later it's all it's all fair and it's all mm. board. it's all it's all legal i'm here because i want to be here so i don't really make a big deal of it i don't really worry too much about getting hit i think that would be differently if i got hit and hit the floor if i got hit on the chin and went down on the canvas every time i got hit or got knocked out and stopped which i've never been stopped in my life i've been knocked down twice in my career and i've got up both times to win the fights so I've got a confidence in myself where I can actually take the risk and I can take the gamble. Yeah. And I don't mind standing in front of my opponent and taking a couple of punches, as stupid as that is. Yeah. But I never had the boxing ability. I was never a good enough boxer. I was never fast enough. I never had the ability to, 
to stay off my opponent and outbox him. Not top level, not world level. Someone like Jermaine Taylor, for example, who's too quick and too skillful for me. I'd throw a jab, he'd slip in and move an uppercut. And I'd think, what's he just hit me with there? There's someone else in the ring. Like, what's hit me there? And he'd be so quick. So I had to get close to him and I had to lean on him and, and get hold of his head and hit him around the body and get my head on his face and punch him with big, heavy, hard shots and bully him and push him back and get him on the ropes and, and unload 18 punches on him in the last round to get the stoppage. Otherwise, I'd have just been outboxed. But Mikel Kessler was your first loss, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And given you had this fear back in the day that had been eradicated over the period of association with Rob McGregor, yeah. how did you cope with that first loss? It's boxing at world level. It's hard yeah. to go through your career without getting beat. And it's how you come back from them losses that, that defines you. And, Absolutely. You know, I, I always come back, I always believed in myself. I always had my best performances as well after a loss. The, the relationship between you and Kessler was, um, it was a, a refreshing relationship to see between two elite fighters that are trading blows in such a formidable way that it was centered in respect. Mm. You described it earlier on as when we did the commercials, uh, and the financials for it, I just for the for the rematch, mm. um, 50 50 down the middle yeah, because let's get that. this done and let's not make it about money, let's make it about the fact that we're fighting one another. Mm. Um, and the yeah, Eddie Ohm saying it's pay per view yeah. on Sky, we're yeah. bringing the line share, the money yeah. to the ring, and he will accept like a 60 40 split. And I'm like, no, you're no, the A side of the equation in this instance. Yeah, I was A side, I, I just beat Lucian Butte, yeah. we've got the broadcaster and in Denmark or Germany, the RTL, whichever TV network they use, it's yeah. not it's not big money, it's not big news. So we could have easily got a 60 40 split, and I could have made more money, and Kester would have got less. But I just thought the fight don't happen without him. One, I couldn't look him in the eye and, and take money off him. And two, why am I more deserved of getting paid better than him when he beat me in the first fight? He ain't got to take the fight. Well, that's a rare attitude, but it's centered in respect. It might be stupid, but for me, it's well, pride and it's honor. Well, I think there's something to be said for it. And, and I think there's a few people out there right now not taking and making fights based upon what they think they're worth mm. that could perhaps listen to a little well, bit A lot of, this. of people put money in the, in the place to talk. Listen, well, there's a balance, Carl. People will say about the money, though, because they don't want to fight. If, if, if somebody yeah. really wants to fight, as a professional boxer, if you want to box and you want the fight to happen, the fight will happen. Regardless of who's promoting you, regardless of which TV, ne TV network's involved, the fight will happen if the fighter says, yeah, I want to fight him. And the other fighter says, yeah, I'll agree, I'll fight him. And the fight will happen. It's the fighters that stop the fight from happening, not the promoters, in my opinion, because the fighters can agree. In, even in the case done. of Tyson Fury? I think Tyson Fury, if he really wants to fight Usyk, why is he chucking in a 70-30 split? Why is he saying, I'll why, I want 70%, you get 30%. And then when that was agreed, he turns around and says, no, the fight's not happening. He's, he was, so his he, bluff he, was called. In your view, he doesn't want the fight? No, his bluff was called. And he, he didn't think he could get ready in six weeks. But mm. he was trying to look like the big macho man. But do you think he wants the fight full stop? I think he probably does, yeah. He's, he's confident, Tyson Fury. He's got every reason to believe he can beat Usyk because mm. he's twice the size of him. And he's um, and, and he's a brilliant fighter. He's a great fighter. Yeah, he's an so, unbelievable heavyweight but fighter. Moving, the, the spec thing that... that pervaded the Kessler fights, evaded completely the George Grove situation. Probably a space that you get fed up with landing in, but it's always an intriguing dynamic. And it must be intriguing to you because you and George are mates now running around doing things together mm. on stages. And that took a, a few years for me to get. Yeah. And I was going to, I was going to say that that's, that's morphed, Rose. isn't it? Mm. And sometimes your worst enemies can often become relatively Absolutely, close allies, yeah. can't yeah. they? But the respect side of things, that it existed in the Kessler uh, duopoly of fights, completely not there at all in the George Groves set of fights. Uh, I'm certainly the first one. Why was that so important to you? Because I, I, I look, I looked at it at the time and I thought, I don't understand why Carl's getting his knickers in a twist so much about this. Because I thought that George was deliberately trying to get under your skin, did it. Yeah. And achieved it. Did it well. He did it well, didn't he? He did, yeah. And got you at it. Um, but what was it that about his attitudes and his outlook that irritated you? Because irritated you so much that you got to a point where he affected you. What was it about him? Well, a lot of the times, I think if you get angry, if somebody else makes you angry, a lot of the time it's a reflection of yourself. Yeah. In my head, I was probably probably immature. I, I could have done with growing up a little bit. I don't know if I had a sense of entitlement because I just beat Mikel Kessler in that rematch. I beat Lucian Butte and I beat Mikel Kessler in the rematch and I probably thought I was bigger and better than him. So I had a, I had a bad attitude. So being angry with him was my attitude. It wasn't so much to do with George Groves. He was calling me names and saying I'm not very good and um, I've not beaten anybody, which was ridiculous. Well, that's a silly, yeah. And I was taking all that personally because I was putting myself on a pedestal that maybe I didn't belong in. 
Um, and I was wanting respect off somebody that wanted to get in the ring and fight me and beat me. Why should he give me respect? He's got no, I've got no entitlement to get respect from him just because of, of my achievements. If he doesn't right. respect me and don't want to give me any credit, then that's totally up to him. And I shouldn't let that bother me. Mm. And, and what I'm saying now is the total attitude I had in the rematch. But in the first one, I was unprofessional. I was immature. I was a bit stupid. And I bit to every little thing he said. He said, you've not beaten anyone. And he said, you're slow. You're not that good. You do everything wrong. I'm like, raging. <laughs> like stressed Eric when the vein comes and strangles him. And he's like, you remember oh, he that did come out with, I mean, they did come out with some great lines. Come out with some great ones. You don't need a sports psychologist. You need a psychiatrist. <laughs> that was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, he had some, he had some good ones. Yeah. And he got me chomping at the bit and he got me fuming. And if I'm honest, I absolutely fucking despise George Groves. <laughs> Before that first fight, I wanted. Yeah. I, wanted I, did, I would never have guessed. I wanted to smash his head in so badly, yeah. and it's ridiculous because you can't go into a ring thinking to yourself, "I just want to. I want to cave his head in. Yeah. I want to smash his You've face." You've got to have some professional. Like, I want to punch him, yeah. and that's what I was trying to do. But from what was Rob doing? I was going, what was Rob doing at that time? Because I saw the press conferences, and obviously I've gone back. I've watched that fight so many times because I went to see the fights. Mm. And there's two versions of a fight, isn't there? There's the fight you go and see in a live auditorium, and you watch it, and you get emotionally invested, and you get a visceral reaction, and then you go home maybe as a punter you do you as a fighter will do it differently you go home and look at it again and you take some of the background noise out of the mm. equation because when I saw the fight I mean the, the, the commentary that was put onto that fight when I went home and listened to it was even more electrifying mm. than the experience because yeah. it was such a shock yeah, and was. there was brilliant commentary and you were at the butt end of a lot of that commentary well about, he was straight on it when he called and saying this is going to be controversial when it got stopped well, when and... it got stopped yeah but he was also talking about that some of the commentary was quite strident about you and about Jim Watt talking about Carl's not throwing any punches with any conviction. Yeah. He doesn't believe in anything the way the work he's doing jam, right, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And that obviously... George Groves is making a mug of me. All that, yeah, <laughs> that must be delightful to hear. But 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 you won the fight. And at the time, I was in the camp of, no, nah, I'm not sure about that. And as you look back at it, and when I went home and looked at it, and I could see why the fight was stopped mm. because it was moments. And you said at the time, I'm a fighter, I'm in the ring. You know, if you know you've got a free shot at someone, that's a dangerous mm. place to be, yeah, like, yeah. paraphrasing yeah. the things that you use. But what I wanted to ask you was you talked before the fight at, at the press conference, one of the press conferences. And I know you're now looking back at it with a different set of eyes, but you talked about Rob McCracken. And I only go into fights with Rob McCracken gets me ready. I'm ready when Rob McCracken. Mm. Tells me I'm ready and yeah. everything I do is ready. Yet there's no way that you were ready for that fight mentally. No, no. Because you went in in a certain mindset and things happened to you that probably hadn't happened before. And 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 it seemed to me, based upon after the fight and the analysis, that you weren't mentally prepared for that fight. So how does that... I'm not I'm trying to have a go at Rob, by the way. No. I'm just trying to square the circle oh. of how you got into a situation where George pretty much did everything he said he was going to do. Mm. Told you what he was going to do, did it, and I don't think I've ever seen. And I've been I've been to about thirty world title fights. I've followed Lennox around the world. I've watched you. I've watched uh, Ricky Hatton fight Costa Zoo. I used to go and watch Amir Khan. I've been to the York Halls. I've gone from the highest of the watching, and, and I've never seen someone take some of the shots that you took in that seventh round. Why didn't Rob sense the danger signals of the fact that you weren't ready for this fight and you were in a mental place that was going to put you in the way? some of the things that you experienced for the first five or six rounds? Um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, Rob was, was my coach for my whole career. Yeah. And I was his real protege, that his first protege that went on to win a world title. He worked with Howard Eastman for a little bit and he boxed Howard Eastman. And, um, I think that was his last fight. But he knew me inside out. He knew what I was like. And at the stage of the career... Did he know we, that you were in a certain frame of mind that put you in the way of jeopardy for this Yeah, he knew fight? that I wasn't properly prepared yeah. as well. So... I usually have a 12-week camp and I was I was 10 weeks into the camp. It was like 10 weeks to go and I'm on this Stepping Out Dance tournament, this dance show on RGB. So I got this feeling of... I'm a little so bit it's like a, Lennox Lewis filming Ocean's Eleven yeah. where he should be focused on Hazim Rackman, yeah? I'm a little bit of a celebrity yeah. and, I, and I hate the celebrity word thing, but like a form of a celeb, a form of a public figure, which I've never been interested in, not bothered, got no ego, not bothered, people say stuff, whatever, don't want to. I've turned down stuff as well, I don't want to go on TV. I mean, I, I'm not interested... I just, I just want to box, win world titles, and be proud of, of being well, a world champion yeah. and have a legacy. But I was doing this dance show. My mindset was on being a bit of a celebrity and maybe I've got one eye on retiring and I've made plenty of money and I kind of don't want to be fighting anymore. It's almost like, do I want to be boxing or not? I wanted right. to box, but I was... Don't forget, I only had two fights with George and I retired. Yeah, I've I got one eye on retirement for the first gross fight and I wasn't taking the training seriously. 
Did that not factor into your thinking though? When if you know you did you know at the time you weren't taking it seriously? Are you looking back now, going, I didn't take it seriously? No, I knew. You knew, mate. But, th- but you I doubled a, down, mate. I was a professional for thirteen years. I've got thirteen black books, thirteen diaries from two thousand and two yeah. to two thousand four when I retired, and every book's got every press up, every sit. But you doubled down. Yeah, you I were did. even more robust in the press conferences. Yeah. You were basically. You're getting yeah, flattened. Yeah, because in my You're head, in my head, I can't be asked to train. I don't want to box anymore. But I've chinned him in sparring with sixteen ounce gloves and head guards. Right. So all I've got to do is hit him on the chin. Again, stupid attitude, badness, bad attitude, bad mindset. So I'm looking at him, thinking as soon as I hit him on the chin with his ten ounce, he's going to go. He's yeah. going to be gone. Yeah. And that's what I really believed in. And I was that begrudgingly not wanting to fight him because I wanted to fight in Vegas. With was someone. that still? Was that still in your mindset when you're walking into the auditorium? Was that no? And that's about to say then on the yeah. on the ring walk. You're starting to think, Listen, listen come with the hour, come with the man. Yeah. And you've got to be brave and you've got to dig deep. But I was thinking, oh shit. I'm in a spot of bother here. I'm, I'm in trouble here. Because they said that- So I, I know mean, he could fight. The two, the two commentators said at the time, there's two guys in that ring that both believe it's going to be their night tonight. Mm. Yet going on behind the scenes in your mind is, yeah. I've got a spot of bother here. And I'm, it leads on to the part that you won't like, which is you get knocked down in the first round and you get probably knocked down, mm. don't you? Yeah, proper shot. Yeah. I felt it. What's going through your minds when you're walking back to that corner and you're sat down um, and you're sat down in the first round, everything that George Groves has told you he's going to do, mm. all that piss-taking and getting on your nerves and yeah. irritating you and winding you up and getting under your skin and telling you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to meet you in the middle of the ring and I'm going to hit you with two right hands and you're going, and is that it? Yeah. And that's, well, oh, thanks for telling me the game plan. Really, that's great. Yeah. He's gone and done it. Yeah. Is any of that... In your mindset, because I can't relate to it, mate, because I've not done what you've done and can't understand the experience of getting knocked down by someone that can hit hard. Um, but you're sat there with Rob McCracken. What's going What's going on there at that moment in time? What's going on with Carl Froch in that moment? It's fight or flight. Yeah, It's just an automatic subconscious reaction and you're not really in control of it. But to try and answer your question the best way, I kind of got flattened in round one and it was towards the end of the round, which was good news for me because yeah, yeah, yeah. I needed the bell. And um, when the referee brought us together, I was just trying to, from round one, I was trying to hit him hard. I yeah. thought, as soon as I hit this 10-ounce glove, I get the glove and I push it around my knuckle and I'm tapping it on my chin. I'm like, yeah, that's really hard. And I'm bending the glove and really feeling the glove. Yeah. And I've got my hand clenched. And man, I can feel it now. Round one, I'm thinking, as soon as I connect on his chin, he's going to have gonna be out cold. Yeah. And I'm yeah. going to say, there you go. Told you, and that's how much I wanted because I, I really despised him. I can put myself in that emotion, what I felt, and I can't go there very often, but I can still go there with George. Sometimes <laughs> when I talk to him, I look at him and I say to him, You know, I fucking didn't like you, you know. You just got to look at his like, hair now. You just got to look at his hair now and smile, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's happened to the top of his head? I, I don't know. I think, I think it's roadkill, isn't it? <laughs> roadkill. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. I like but, George. So you got so I'm thinking I can so hit him on the chin. So you're sat on the stool and, and you're going... Listen, I'm thinking I can hit him on the chin. Even at that moment. And that's what I'm trying to yeah. do. And because I'm trying to do it, instead of throwing it sharp and looking for the opening and slipping and throwing the jab and getting my distance and getting my feet in range and being technical and clinical and trying to look for an opening, I'm just trying to chin him. Yeah, I'm going to... Like it's a pub yeah. brawl outside, yeah. right? I'm going to hit him on the chin like a Saturday night. Like someone who can't fight, just load up, swing yeah. it around and land him. You're never going to land the shot. And in trying to do that, I walked into a nice, clean, yeah. professional, nice sit-back, jab right hand, and I walked straight into it on the chin, and it put my lights out. I can't remember going down. I still can't remember now. When I watch it, I'm like, yeah, that was a good shot. And then I stood up, stumbled back into the ropes because yeah. I'd not fully recovered. And then um, referee Howard Foster brings us together, says box, and like an idiot, I stood there, dropped my arms, and tried to swing away. And he was a split second oh, faster getting, than me. Yeah. He was catching me with three, four, five shots. The bell went, and he hit me with two more for good measure. Yeah. So I went back to my corner, sat down on my stool, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, like I'm in trouble here. This is this is as bad as it could ever be. It's round one. I'm he's faster than me. I'm loading up, I can't really catch him. And I've just been flattened. And I yeah. feel dazed. And I feel like I feel I don't feel that fit. And I come out round two and the bell went, and I could feel my legs weren't quite there. And I could I could felt like at any stage if he catches me. I could go. Rob said, get behind your jab box, get your guard up. When he comes close, tie him up. All the, all the right things. Yeah. But I was just just trying to hit him still. Yeah. I still couldn't stand him, still despised him, still wanted to <laughs> knock his teeth down the back of his obnoxious throat. You know what I mean? And it wasn't going to happen. And I took another six rounds of, of a serious pasting. He hit me with everything, including the kitchen sink, f- for half the fight. Yeah. But what it's he remarkable, did was, Cole. he it tied. Was I don't know how I didn't go down again. No, neither do I. I don't know how. I think he hit you with bigger shots. Bigger shots, yeah, and he did. Somehow or another, and that That's... goes back to your mindset of you weren't going to yeah. swallow this, were you? No, no, you chance. weren't going to stop this. I'm not going down again. If I do get down again, if I do get down, again, I'm getting up 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna get you. I'll get to you. I never ever stopped believing. Yeah. Even though I was getting punched in the head round and round after round. Were you surprised were you surprised at the moment that Foster stopped it? I know afterwards you sat there and we we did it a moment ago where you talked about the fact that I'm a fighter, I'm there, I can see what's yeah. happening, you yeah. guys can't. Listen, I I think the I think Howard Foster did a great job because George Groves was on his way. Yeah. And his arms drop as his arms drop, the referee's Howard looking at it. Yeah. Howard Foster's thinking, right, he's He's gone here. I could have took a little bit of a step back, given myself a bit more room, not let him hold, and then probably teed him up with another couple of shots and, and really finished him off, which is what the crowd want to see. Yeah. It's what I'd want to see as a boxing fan. When I watch matches and think, the guy's gone, and the referee's jumped in, and it was a great stoppage. But actually, I wanted to see the guy out cold on the floor yeah. unconscious, because it's a brutal sport. Did it sport. annoy you, Carl? I mean, the reaction... I, I, I mean, George milked it a little bit on the ringside because he was obviously playing to a different gallery now. The yeah, gallery that was not interested in him on the way in um, was now cheering and celebrating. Did it? How did it affect you that there was a negative reaction? Felt like a loss. Yeah. Felt like a loss, yeah. And it, it did upset me a little bit. But Felt I just, unfair. Yeah, I just thought, listen, it's all right. It's all right having a go at me, but the referee stopped the fight. It was a byproduct, though, wasn't it, Carl, of the fact that you'd been so robust in the press conferences and so mm. basically dismissive of George and, and that he was going to get flattened. Yeah. But but you talked about going out of the auditorium, being cheered in and spat on the way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, exactly. That's what happened. I mean, listen, this you try and justify how I got treated on the on the way. I mean, I did get cheered in and booed out because I was people wanted me to win because yep. Groves is of his obnoxious attitude and his his, his leeriness and his cheekiness yep. and his is, is disrespectful attitude on the build-up to the fight. It got everybody wound up. That's why the first fight was pretty good and it was it was quite a good show on Sky Box Office and it went it sold well. People wanted to see it. And the build-up, the, the, the gloves are off and the yep. the press conferences and the weigh-in even. It was good. It was a genuine grudge match. Mm. But for me to walk to the ring, get flattened in round one. Yeah. Right, I challenge any man who thinks he's fit No, I strong, agree, mate. To get flattened in round one by George Groves, who can punch a little bit, by the way, as I found out in round yep. one. And then get your head punched in for the next six rounds and then still be stood there in round seven, the second half of the fight, and just bouncing your gloves yeah. together, coming out for round seven, still believing in yourself and thinking, you It should what? be respected, shouldn't it? We're halfway there now. It and should then, be respected. And then managing to force the stoppage. I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's not like I'm not hitting him. But that's fight fans though, isn't it? Yeah, and then, and then when the fights... I mean, I didn't do myself any favours because George Groves came over to shake my hand and... I'm not one of them that when you've got a big grudge match and you don't like each other, all of a sudden after the fight, all is forgotten. I didn't forget what he'd said. And he came over to shake me hand and I told him to do one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> don't put your hand out. Put, you know what I mean? I don't want to shake your hand. I still don't like you. You know what I mean? But maybe it might have been different if the stoppage was different, if he wasn't complaining about the stoppage. But then I did the interview. Probably didn't do myself any favours again. But I just said the referee was a great stoppage. He was gone. Everyone was boo. And as I walked back to the changing rooms, someone shouted frotch. I looked round and he spat right in my face. Lovely. Thought, well, that was nice. Thanks yeah. for that. Well, you're not entertained. Did you not yeah. enjoy that fight? It's mm. probably one of the best fights in Britain for years. Really entertaining. All right, the fight was stopped early. I didn't stop the fight. The referee stopped the fight. And then as I was walking back, coins were bounced off the top of my head. One hit me on the bridge of my nose as if I want bruised and battered enough. <laughs> and um, yeah, we ducked down and we got into the changing rooms. Biggest beating I've ever took in my whole career, that was. Yeah. Six, seven, How one. quickly did it take you to decide to have the rematch? Because we've got this thing going on at the moment with Devin Haney and About a day uh, or two. Lomachenko. Mm. Did you just go straight into it? I had no choice. As much you as did, I you won. Yeah, well, as much as I didn't want to fight him, it felt like a loss. It felt like I lost the fight because the right. way it was received by the press and the boxing news publication at the time, which was like the Bible of boxing, that and the mm. Ring magazine, it was like I was just cheat. George Groves was cheated out of a win. Yeah. Did you ever envisage when you walked out and all that the fight that uh, that, that manifested itself, the outcome, the reaction? that the next situation you're going to find yourself is in this remarkable... I always make this case because people keep talking about Anthony Joshua and we'll talk about it briefly in a second, that everyone says everything about boxing, all the stadium fights were because of Anthony Joshua. Mm. And I go, well, well, hang on. Wait a minute. Hang on. You know, there were other stadium fights. Ricky fought in other fights, but Carl fought George Groves at Wembley mm. in front of 80,000 fans and they all take the piss out of you. So Carl, was was Carl talks about that every time. Tony Bailey says, you've never heard this from Carl. He never mentions it. <laughs> so they all throw that in as a Mickey take. Yeah, well, listen, it's the biggest fight post-war yeah. in British boxing history. Oh, well, no, 80,000 fans yeah. at Wembley Stadium. Yeah. And um, it needs to be acknowledged. And yeah. just because I told Floyd Mayweather about it, Tongue in Cheek had a bit of a crack with him because Adam Smith said, right, you get to ask Floyd Mayweather one question. I think he was fighting um, oh, Conor McGregor. Okay. I'm like, yes, sir. Right. <laughs> I'm yeah. Carl Froch. Absolutely right. Good <laughs> for you. I still have a bit of attitude then. Yeah. So I said, listen, Floyd, when I boxed George Groves, 
at Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 fans. I chopped down a few trees myself because I would just watch the VT of him like chopping logs with his axe. So I just made this story about chopping wood, but made sure that when I was asking him a question, I talked about myself and about Wembley. So that kind of went quite viral, but that was a genuine me having the laugh and having the wind up. And Does it annoy you that people take the mickey out of it? No, I love it. it. I love it because they're still talking about it. They're still getting wound up about it. So, And, and Eddie Hearn will back me up because I said to Eddie right before I spoke to Floyd Mover, I went, right, listen to this. Make sure you get this. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Don't do anything stupid. I went, I'm going to talk about Wembley and that. And he was like, yeah, go on. That would be great. <laughs> so I did it. So it was all preempted. Um, but it was a great... You were, you were different in that build-up. When the gloves are off, was a, was a fa- I think that's one of the best gloves are off. <laughs> Um, uh, that I've seen and I've seen some mm. interesting ones you know with, whether it's Dillian White and Derek Chazor being called a donkey or whatever else right but that was an interesting one because it was just implied menace basically I, I said I thought foolishly as a result of the first fight that George would win the second fight until I saw the gloves are off mm. and I thought yeah okay there's a different Kyle Frotch on offer here there's a different mentality it's not like um, uh, David Hay, uh, although this was later, not getting wound up by Tony Bellew. This is mm. someone that's very just okay. You, 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 okay, fine. I'll take the mm. I'll take the brick back to the first yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you have your moment in the sun, son. Mm. Yeah, but this is reality now. Yeah. When I got the rematch, and I, it took you asked me how long did it take to realise you had to have a rematch. It was like forty eight hours because yeah. I thought I'm not fighting him again. I've got him done now. I was thinking to myself, fuck him. I'm not fighting him again. Mm. He's he's had his day. He's had his chance. He gave me everything he's got. Yeah. He knocked me down. He couldn't finish the job. He had his chance, yeah. Too good for him. I'll, I'll move on. I'll get something else. And actually, there was nothing else really to go for. There was nothing as big. For me, it was like, I can't retire now. Yeah, with that. With that being my last fight, with people yeah. going through, going to go through the rest of my life now if I retire. And, so diminish, and diminish everything else you've done that's all by I'm association. Talk about. Yeah. He was lucky. You got yeah. a robbery there. Yeah. I've got to set the record straight. I've yeah. got to fight him. But more so than that as well, to just solidify and make it concrete that it's definitely going to happen. The conversation with Eddie Hearn about it being at Wembley Stadium. Yeah. Well, Wembley Stadium, really? Wow. But this really has caught the public's imagination. And the press didn't just go on for a day or two. It went on for two or three weeks. No, I remember. And then when the fight got announced, I mean, I was in Dubai with my family, just, just relaxing, having a bit of a break. So I didn't get a chance to go away, away with my kids much and have a family holiday. And I was out there with Rachel and the kids. And um, Eddie Hearn was bringing my my hotel room non-stop and I was sick of him ringing me and I had a conversation with him saying listen he's mandatory now yeah he's gone out to wherever he's gone to get get it sanctioned and become mandatory again we want mandatory he was like rank number five but they said no immediate rematch because of the stoppage he'd, he'd gone out to Mexico or something to see the IBF and sat there and watched the video of the fight at the stoppage and they'd said yep yeah, you deserve a rematch so he got the rematch yeah I was like good that's good news fair play to him it's great it's going to be Wembley it's massive and I'm going to take it seriously. Yeah. So all I had to do in the re- in the rematch was be prepared. trained properly. Yeah. I couldn't have been any worse prepared for the first yeah. one. I couldn't have been so bad attitude, like I said, I had earlier, and and just I just I was I was stupid on the build up. I didn't give him enough respect, and I, I I was I had an overinflated opinion of myself. You still got to want it for the right reasons, and um, this rematch was going to set the record straight for me. Was it the ultimate satisfaction for you? The manner in which you dealt with it. That was it. That was it. That was the job done. I have laid this one to rest. No one can debate this one. I've cleaned him out. There he is. Well, it was That's such it. a conclusive finish, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And that that was that was down to the preparation. And yeah, to answer your question, when when I when I rendered him unconscious in front of eighty, <laughs> I know you like to say that. Carl. Eighty thousand. I've heard you say it many times. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was asleep before he hit the yeah. canvas because his leg just folded yeah. off. It was his foot was wrapped around his ear hole at one stage. <laughs> And the referee just immediately waved it off. But when that punch landed, I knew, I knew he wasn't going to get up. And he did get up. He didn't beat the count, but he stood up. And then he yeah, stumbled into his corner. Him, was there? But the right hand couldn't have hit him any harder, any more flush. If I had said to George Groves, right, stand there, don't move. I'm going to punch you in the face as hard as I can. And he stood there and didn't move. And I, I had the time to just line it up. That was the I wouldn't have been able to hit him any harder. Yeah. I couldn't have hit him any harder. Yeah. Because I threw a little fake, he reacted. I threw a left, left, yeah. left, yeah. left yeah. duck, throw away left duck. We got my body over to my right-hand side. Then I was able to transfer the weight from my right thigh, push it in from the calf, right up through the body, mm-hmm. and boom. It landed right on the end of the... Such relish you say it with Mate, his chin relish. just... His head was gone. He was, he was asleep. Yeah. And for that to be my final punch of what was an amazing career... And that was it for you? For the more than people that went... That that was it, yeah. definitely. And I, I, the only thing I regret about retiring and doing it was not telling Rob McCracken earlier. Right. Because I'd already one. made my mind up, but 
I kind of didn't want to tell Rob, but maybe I'd, I had this this fear of telling him and not wanting to tell him. I didn't want to let him down or I, didn't, I wanted to have a conversation with him and, and agree with him that, that I'm going to retire. Because I could never see myself retiring from boxing. I loved the sport for so long. I, I, I enjoyed boxing. I'd had a fantastic career and I didn't really want to hang the gloves up. I didn't want to end it. But before that fight happened, before the rematch was made, I'd already decided um, that I wasn't going to um, I wasn't going to fight again. And I actually interviewed Rob a couple of days ago in Sheffield for my YouTube channel. You interviewed Froch him, on you? fighting. Oh, very good. Yeah, I interviewed him. I've seen it. You've seen it? I've watched it. I've seen you, you enjoy George. it, I've you? Seen, you do. Very good. Yeah. I enjoy Carl without, again, wanting to be overly sycophantic, <laughs> which doesn't sit well with me. I watch a lot of the things you do and enjoy most of the things you do, mate. Thank you. I appreciate that. included. But he said to me, on that, which I didn't know, it was a bit of a revelation for me. He says, I knew you was going to retire after that fight, before it. I says, how did you know? He says, because you was coming in fight week and you were smiling and you was walking. Usually you're quite angry and you're yeah. quiet and you don't want to talk to anybody. He says, but you was you was overly happy and smiley and you, you wasn't your normal self. He said, but in a good way. You was nice to be around, which you're not usually nice to be around <laughs> on fight week. And you were smiling and enjoying yourself and you just enjoyed everything about the Wembley fight. Because you'd done all the training, you were super fit. And you'd also speaking to, to a guy called Chris Marshall, who's a sports psychologist. Yep. And he'd got my head straight. It separated the logic from the emotion and yep. tell me what the amygdala does. And I got a little bit of scientific sort yep. of insight into the brain. And because I understood why You're I was good. getting wind up and I understood why I was and feeling emotional, yeah. I was yeah. able to just yeah. control it. And I, I use it now in, in everyday life with, with, with my wife and with my children. Yeah. It's good I'm able talk. to just focus and meditate. and just Talking about Rob leads me into uh, Anthony Joshua. Hmm. which is a subject, I mean, Anthony gets a lot of airtime, and, and and I don't like to live, or any of us don't like to live vicariously through someone else because we've all got our own space in the world. Hmm. But square a circle for me. Again, again, I'm not after Rob McCracken because I think he's a brilliant trainer, so don't get that into your head that that's where I'm going with this. But I can't understand the first Usyk-Joshua fight. Everything that Anthony Joshua does that can make it a winnable fight for Alexander Usyk he does, right? Mm. I.e., he doesn't use his size. He doesn't use his power. He tries to box Alexander Usyk rather than do what the very thing that Joshua should be doing, which was sticking it on him and using the size and power that he's got as a natural heavyweight rather than a pumped-up cruiserweight becoming a heavyweight. Mm. All on Rob's watch. And I've never been able to understand that. I've never been un understand how Anthony went out and fought that fight that way. What, what do you make of that? Quite simple. It's a really short answer. He didn't listen to Rob McCracken. He didn't do what he was told. Just didn't listen to him. Totally disregarded him. And right. then that relationship broke down. And As uh, a result of that? And, and Rob wasn't in the corner for the rematch, was he? No. He wasn't in the corner for the rematch. Because I couldn't so the was on the wall. So when, when Rob... I mean, I've got a good relationship with Rob. And I always have done. And I yeah. respect him like... I tried to sum it up the other day again on, on my YouTube channel for I'm fighting. Excuse the plug. The plug. Um, <laughs> fill your boots. Just kill, Just cut that out if you want. Mate, we're number one podcast, so you go and fill your really? boots. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fighting. Yeah. Get on it, YouTube. <laughs> like and subscribe. I'm joking. Right, no, I'm not joking, actually. Um, he was like, he must have known the fight was going to end. He must have known that, the sorry, their, their relationship was going to end. And because I'm friends with Rob, yep. and because I have conversations with Rob McCracken, I'm, I can't, I can't, I can't talk too much about what me and Rob kind of talk about. I no, I understand. I can't do it. I'm not so, asking you to breach any confidence. I, I want to get an insight all I without breaching without it, It's quite easy the for everybody to see who saw that first fight with, with AJ and Usyk that, that Anthony Joshua did not listen to Rob McCracken. He didn't listen to him. Because I spoke And the to... training camp, I know, by the way, because you get little insights to the training camp mm. and you hear other people talking about it. And I'm not talking about Robbie. I'm talking about other people yeah. talking about his camp. Not wanting to do runs, like hard runs, not wanting to spar. If right. you don't do the spar and you don't do the running, they're the two most important fundamental things. You're not ready for the fight. Because I spoke to And thinking that tactically, which we've all seen, that you can all of a sudden outbox one of the best boxers it's in the world. It's preposterous, isn't it? You can't outbox yeah. a guy that's who's just, faster than you. That's his stock a, in trade. It's a, it's a smaller yeah. weight division. It's a cruiserweight fighter. Because I can't I, outbox him. I spoke to Shane McGuigan and said, and Shane, I think Shane was doing Lawrence Acoli's raps. Um, and Shane told me probably slightly indiscreetly that um, that Anthony was in the dressing room watching Lawrence getting wrapped mm. asking Shane what would he do in this fight yeah, yeah, yeah. and that to my mind says well, surely you must know what you're going to be doing if yeah. you're not prepared now yeah. when in Christ's names are you going to be prepared yeah. what do you make of the whole it shows that his mind's all over the place yeah. and he's unsure and he, he don't, he, he's, he's obviously for whatever reason he's got no confidence in Rob yeah. McCracken. He's got no confidence in him. I don't know why. Maybe, you know, he lost 
he lost against Ruiz. Yeah. And he got his head punched in. He got yeah. knocked out quite badly. And do you think he swallowed that fight? Because the accusation is he swallowed it. Listen, I I think that once when, when you get hit on the chin and you're you're dazed and you're slightly concussed, yeah. you kind of don't know what you're doing. And you, you sort of revert to type. And when I'm when I'm on my back foot and I've been knocked down, I get up and I try and yeah. get my opponent, try and get even. I don't get mad, I try and get even, I try and get him back. And I want to fight and I want to make it. Even if it means I'm taking risks, I'm taking punches. I'm just a natural born fighter and I've fought yeah. since I was eight years old. AJ started boxing late. He's not had that childhood amateur career. He doesn't know what to do when he's in trouble. Right. And he's never come through any kind of adversity like that. So that's that not swallowing it, is it? So it's probably not swallowing it, but it's just a natural... Well, there's two ways of looking at it. He doesn't know any better. He didn't know any better. Like That was just his natural response. I've been put down. I'm hurt. I don't know where I am. I'm trying to fight back, which he was, but he was getting caught and beat to the punch. Then he was all over the place. Ruiz stuck it on him and landed some good shots. And he was like, the referee, give him the option to carry on. The referee stood in front of Anthony Joshua after that knockdown and after him getting pummeled again against the ropes. The referee stood in front of him and said, right, show me you want to carry on. That's what the referee does to you, talks to you and says, show me you want to carry on. So if AJ would have put his gloves up yeah. and walked towards the referee, he'd have let it go on. He'd have let him carry on. But AJ was like on the ropes, arms on the ropes, foot on the rope. What's going off? Yeah. I'm not enjoying this. Someone get me out of here. Yeah. So you can call that what you want. You can call mm -hmm. it swallowing or you can call, just call it a natural reaction. Yeah. But he didn't want to carry on fighting. No. But for me, I'm telling the referee, I'm okay. I'm all right. I want to go on. Come on, come on. The, the, reason, why, the reason why and I bring that's up, a difference. The reason why I bring up Anthony Joshua is not so that we can all score points of getting uh, uh, you know, information about Anthony Joshua, but you mentioned it recently this mm. week. You spoke, or last week, I think it was, you spoke about legacies. When, you, when we compare legacies for the purpose of this conversation, do you think you would have a better legacy? Because there's a lot of hype and a lot of a lot of noise around Anthony Joshua. He's made an immeasurable amount of money. And I think we all accept mm. that everything flows off the tree of the heavyweight mm. division because everything comes down because it's always Absolutely. been the marquee division, right? Yeah. But when you look at legacies, would you say, because you've been critical, you've talked about the fact that his legacy doesn't really exist. He hasn't got one. Mm. You know, he beat Charles Martin, which wasn't much of a champion. He's lost to the, I'm paraphrasing now, he lost to the Pilgrim. Charles Martin was was gifted a, the IBF yeah. title because yeah. Arthur Spilka, he, yeah. he ruptured his crucial ligament yeah. during the fight. And then, so it was a paper championship. Yeah, he had so, to beat him still, but not beat, it. Yeah, but it yeah. was Charles Martin. Charles Martin's yeah. since And we agree that, that Klitsch, Klitschko was a, a, a jaded Klitschko that possibly gassed when he had an opportunity to 42 win 42 years old, sat on the sofa for 18 months, and he loses out of retirement and beat and fights AJ. And AJ climbed off the canvas. Yeah, and dug deep. And what was a very good win in front of... And nine, I think that's the last time he wanted to do there. that. I think he went to an abyss. I think he went into that space where he had to... You fighters have to go into a unique space, which is when it gets... When the muck and bullets are flying, some people stick and some people don't. And it's going into a dark place and mm. being prepared to go there, right? You've been there many times. And I think Anthony went there against Klitschko. It went to a dark place. He won the fight. I think Klitschko gassed. And I don't think he's ever wanted to go there again. He kept Joseph Parker... At range, or be the fight. We never want to go there ever again. No, but you have to go but there sometimes, we, don't but you? But when we go there, it's whether or not you stay there and you're willing to yeah. participate in that environment and, and enjoy it and, and relish in it and, and get involved, or whether you want to shy away from it and back off. And I, I think that when Anthony Joshua was asked the question, especially since the Ruiz fight, yeah. when it came on top and he got knocked down, yeah. and then he started getting shots, he kind of, he don't want any part of that smoke. Yeah. He don't want that action. He's, he's, he's not used to it. He's not at it as a kid. He's not had his big brother beating him. I don't know if he's had his brother mm. beating him up, but when you're brought up as a kid and you're used to being in that environment and you fight from when you're 10 years, well, I was sparring at eight years old and you're up close and personal, exchanging shots. You've got left hooks whizzing past you. You've got uppercuts landing on your chin. You're in close, you roll onto the chest. You get a little bit of room by just pushing your opponent off and you give yourself some punching distance and you, you land a big left hook and a right hand and then another right hand hits you. And you're close for for, for minutes of rounds mm. and, you, and it becomes a subconscious reaction where you almost have an out-of-body experience when you're exchanging blows you're not thinking about throwing the right hand and the left hook and the double jab right hand trying to draw right hand so you can slip it and throw the left hook you're not thinking about anything it's just happening for me it's almost like an out-of-body experience it might sound a bit too spiritual this but it sounds like you're not in control of what's happening you're just doing it naturally yeah. so i just think aj is nothing against aj i think aj's had a fantastic career yeah but legacy, I might get, the I might question get, was your legacy or his. I might get ridiculed for saying this. I think he's overachieved. I really do. And that's not a criticism. That's brilliant. He's overachieved. He's done amazing. He's, he's won an Olympic gold medal when when many people, not just me, thought he'd lost the first fight against the Cuban. Um, mm. He won a very close fight against the Italian on a countback in a split decision. 
Um, and he got the win, fair play to him. I've been on the end of many wrong decisions in, in the Olympics. I missed out on the Olympic qualifiers for the Sydney Games, um, which was which was a nightmare. And I went to the World Championships a year later and, and, and medaled, which was great. So fair play to him. He's He's gone in there and he's done the fighting. Yeah. And he's turned professional with limited amateur experience, experience yeah. even though he's an Olympic gold medal yeah. medalist, he's still got limited amateur experience. And he's had a fantastic career. Who's, so who's got a better legacy? You a great him? career. Well, I don't think that his legacy be, can be compared to mine. I don't I think I don't think it's one Why? bit comparable because he's a two-time world heavyweight champion of the world. We've agreed that the heavyweight champion feeds off it. Everyone feeds off that division. Uh you're a four-time champion. Why do you think it cannot be I, I know what the answer is, but I want to hear it from you. Well, well the thing is you have to look at who you fought, what level you fought yeah. at, and and the timing of the people that you fought, and how many people how many unbeaten fighters you beat as well. It goes down a lot. And I beat Jean Pascal for a world title. Yeah. My first world title, who then went on to to become a light heavyweight yeah. unified world title yeah. titleist. Um Jermaine Taylor up at super middleweight. Arthur, Arthur Abraham, Abraham Mikhail yeah. Kessler. Um, Glenkov Johnson, all right, past his best. I didn't beat Andre Ward, but I beat Andre Durrell. And it was a very close fight. And a lot of people say, oh, that could have gone either way. Well, it could have done. But the guy came and ran and held. And he was scared to death of being hit. So he didn't deserve to win. So he didn't win because I beat him. Yeah. And I beat Mikel Kester in the rematch. And then I went on to beat George Groves, who was also unbeaten and 10 years younger than me in not one, but two fights. You know what I mean? So when you look at that run of fighters and that, that level of opposition, time after time, back-to-back -back world title fights. You can't compare that with with a heavyweight, and we're talking about Anthony Joshua, mm -hmm. who's for Charles Martin, who's a nobody. Yeah. All right, he's an IBF champion, but he was gifted the title. And then an old Klitschko, who'd yeah. been sat on the sofa for, for the best part of two years, comes out of retirement, nearly beats him, by the way, and I'm not taking anything away from AJ, but AJ climbed off the canvas to, he get, beats Joseph Parker to well, get the win. To get a he beat Joseph well, Parker, he beat Povetkin. Yeah. But these are guys, I mean, Joseph Parker, I'm, I'm not being funny. He's, no, no. He's cool. not a bad fighter, but he's yeah. not an all-time heavyweight. No. Povetkin, not bad, but past his best. And who's he ever beat? He's, the record doesn't stack up. The names don't stack up. If Anthony Joshua fights... So what is his legacy then? Wouldn't it be great if Anthony Joshua fought, fought Wilder and, Fury. and didn't get knocked yeah. out, managed to keep out of the way, but then stuck it on him when Wilder got tired down the, down the stretch yeah. and finished him off like, like he used to, throw five, six-punch combinations instead of throwing single shots mm. and ones and twos and then backing off. Do you think he can? I'm not so sure. He can, not based on what I've seen. Yeah. But if he was to beat Deontay Wilder, then go in there and have a fight with, with Tyson Fury yeah. and win or lose against Tyson Fury, if you give him a really, really good fight and it was a close fight that could have gone either way or maybe beats him, then his legacy is solid yeah. because he's then beaten two live fighters. I agree. And I agree. he deserved to be right yeah. up there and remembered. I agree. But what about I Tyson know, Fury? I don't know how he gets to that level Again. based on the last but, couple of performances. But since he it? lost to Ruiz, I've said it before, I think a piece of his soul was destroyed. Yeah. Whatever that means, I think he took his soul. Yeah. Like his, his, the belief and the desire and that that innate instinct to fight and stand in front of your opponent, look him in the eyes when it gets hard and exchange lever, punch him in the face and get punched back and get hold of him and get close to him and talk to him in his ear and push him off. And when the referee says box, go in there like you want to try and smash his head in. And it sounds brutal, it sounds honest, but, but this it, is a fight. It's, it's a boxing match. It's the nature of the business. It's a fight it? game. Yeah. And that's how you've got to be. You've got to be in there trying to do some serious damage. And I don't know if he can get that back now. With I agree. I think once, that's, one, once that pilot light's gone, I think it's difficult to get it back on again. Very quickly on, this, on the subject of legacies, before I move to the last topic we're going to talk about, um, Tyson Fury, mm. has he got a legacy? Well, Because he seems to be causing mayhem wherever he goes. He does, time, yeah. Ducking everything listen, and I causing love, problems and overvaluing himself in every conversation. I love Tyson Fury. And that, and that's, so do I. that's not to say I don't think a lot of, of Anthony Joshua, but personally for me, Tyson Fury, he made his professional debut on, on the undercard of my world title fight. Yeah. I trained with him in in Castleball County Mayo for my first world title fight. And I watched him spar Perez while I was fighting, sparring Louis Garcia, two Cubans that came over. And um, was also promoted by the same promoter early on in our career. And then we both went our separate ways. Um, he's now with Frank Warren. And I finished my career with Eddie Hearn. Um, but I just love his attitude. I love the way he speaks. I love the way he gets in the ring and fights. I love the way he's not trying to please any sponsorships or any, any sort of promoters. He's just his own man. And he stands by his conviction and he says what he thinks. So has he got, is he, if, if, and but if he doesn't it's too, fight. Sometimes if, it's too much. But his legacy, which was your question, yeah. I can't give him a massive legacy. I can't give it him because not yet, he's, anyway. fought, he's fought Deontay Wilder three times. And he only got done in the first one, yeah. but he didn't. Was it a draw? It was a draw, wasn't it? It was a draw, yeah. And then he nearly got done. 
He nearly got done again. Oh, he got caught with some big yeah, shots. Got yeah, yeah. Three great fights yeah. against a guy who's not a massive heavyweight, Dante Wilder. He's a big puncher. He's not massive. He's not a big guy. He's a puncher, don't he's, he? He's a, he's a big, massive, listen, yeah. massive puncher. But because he's not that big and heavy, he, um, Tyson Fury is able to manhandle him, keep him at the end of the jab, keep him out of the way, lean on him, push him down, and just control the fight. It's quite easy for Fury to do what he does because he's so big and because he's so good as well. So where's his legacy? You can't say that's a legacy. He's going to have to fight everyone. He's going to have to fight. You fought everyone. Yeah. So there's legacy. If he fights Usyk and he fights AJ and he makes mincemeat of him, I mean, beating Usyk, you've got to say, listen, Usyk's beat AJ and AJ's done all he's done in his career. Albeit not not amazing, but he still beat everybody he's put in front of him, except for except for Ruiz and Usyk. Yeah. So this is why we, I mean I'm going back now about why his legacy is not that great because of the, the loss to to Ruiz and the two losses back to back to Usyk. Usyk. Yeah. It's difficult to give AJ a a, a gleam a of legacy. legacy. Yeah. A legacy for me is a boxing legacy where you can say he belongs up there with. Mike Tyson and Riddick Bowe and yeah. Lennox Lewis don't get enough accolade, but Lennox well, Lewis is up there. Way. Evander Holyfield, them sort of fighters. Yeah. Muhammad Ali. I mean, them sort and of... Mike Tyson as well. Yeah, Mike Tyson, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But he went on too long, didn't he? And he got some losses at the end that he yeah. didn't need to have. But you can't put Anthony Joshua in with them at the minute just because it's not his fault. Hopefully, he can, he can not even prove everybody wrong. Hopefully, he can do something and finish his career on a real high. But from what I've seen in his rematch with Usyk and that comeback fight against, against Franklin, Franklin. Yeah. I just don't see anything that Gives convinces you that. me, not even in the slightest... Iota yeah. that he, he's got a chance of coming anywhere near yeah. to beating yeah, Fury or, or Deontay Wilder. But wouldn't it be great to be able to give somebody some constructive criticism without everybody thinking that you're a hater? But that, but that was my point. Because uh, if Anthony Joshua does well in boxing and, and fights these people, and, and it's, it's great for boxing. Absolutely. Which is, which is great for me. Absolutely. Great for we're our part career because we're in part. We're part yeah. We but need people, people get like AJ to win Kyle, and look good. In this world that we live in, whether it's people believing in COVID, people believing in flat earth theories like you, or, or, or buying or, or a different view on life, people mm. can get entranced in positions. You've been uh, talking about various things recently. Please, 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 please tell me, given the nature of legacies, that you are not going to get yourself involved with fannies like Jake Paul. If someone was going to say to you, there's a suitcase there's a pause there. In the, you know, it says it's, it's about money. I've not done many things in my life for money. I did 50-50 with Kessler. Exactly, I but did. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fight this scarecrow. Listen, mate. What, what is it? What do they call it when the cricketers... Is it a testimony? We don't testimonial. Get, we don't get a testimony in, a testimonial in boxing. We don't get a little free gift. It'd kill your legacy. We don't, we don't, Wouldn't this kill your legacy? I don't know. Would it kill do, my legacy? Do you respect would I be Floyd the hero that, for doing these dances? Would I be the hero that stopped all the hype around Jake Paul? Jake Paul's oh, trying to... I don't mind Jake on, Paul doing what he's doing and having a go and he's getting in the ring, same as white collar fighters. I don't mind them. They're getting the brave. They're getting in there. They're taking punches in the face. But people are taking them it. seriously. But that's just what I'm saying. But don't ask us to call you a professional fighter yeah, when, but, but, you, but when you, you struggle to even stand up straight. Think, fine, good. But then what do you want to go on a bleeding ring with them for then? To just tell him, listen... because no, you want a big suitcase of money. I'm tenuous, yeah, but obviously there's a big suitcase. I won't going to do it for free. Because I might get my nose bent or something. It might hit me with a lucky elbow. I've had right? this, I've had this, <laughs> I've had this, this baby straightened. Um, but if um, I've lost my way of thought now, <laughs> they use if, I was to be, if I could be the guy to end the Jake Paul oh, but shenanigans, but I don't you look that'd at be don't great. you look at Floyd Mayweather and go, oh really? What, well, what, he boxed what? the other week in front of two two people in an arena, and it was. I don't know why he did that, to be honest. Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather. Because he's getting paid a load of money. I don't, where, did, where did the money come from for that? God, one? well, digital no presence, but people in the auditorium will be superseded by those that are watching yeah. digitally, won't they? Listen, I'm not stupid enough to come back out of retirement and fight anybody of any serious level as a professional. The, the, the reason I retired at 36, 37 is because, one, the desire was going, but two, I couldn't really do it anymore through, through Achilles tendon injuries, ACL reconstructions, hand operations, dodgy elbows. I've had too many cortisone injections injected into them. I just didn't want it anymore. And I got my kids and health is more important. Health is your wealth. That's as far as I'm concerned. When you're, you're right. financially free, you're not interested in anything. You can have all the money finance. in the world, but if you're not healthy, there's no matter. You need your health, don't you? Of would course you, you do. Would you come out for a retirement for Kalsagi? Probably not, no. And I don't think Kalsagi would. Because that would, again, be an exhibition fight, but it proves nothing. It'd be a pointless exhibition fight. And I, as I've got older and I've got more mature... And I've, I realised, and I've spoke to Ron McCracken, and I realised Joe Calzaghe had a fantastic career. He was a really, really talented fighter. He was. And that's where I said he was the best fighter in the last 20 years, because I mean it. Because he was. If you look back, who are you going to put in front of him? You can't put anyone in front of him. You can put Lennox Lewis up there. Um, 
as a close second. And there's, there's a few fighters that have had great careers over the years, but Kazagi retired undefeated in 46 fights. He did, remarkable. Yeah, he had a remarkable. couple of close ones. I picked ones. him to beat you, by the way. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to think that Kazagi beats me. Um, because he's such a great fighter and he's tough, but, but by, by tiny margins, you can see how I could and I be. I didn't him. like doing it either. But what a great fight like that would have been! Better. Imagine me standing in front of Kalzagi and he's throwing yeah. five or six every. Well, like like McGuigan like, picked him to beat you as well. By the way, McGuigan's yeah. one of your McGuigan fanboys. McGuigan knows his stuff, though, doesn't he? So if you well, think McCracken if he picked you to beat Kalzagi, can't though. argue. Yeah. If you could give Conor Ben one piece of advice, what would you give it to him? Sit in front of the British Boxing Board of Control, have a conversation with him, um, apologise publicly, and. Um, Get on with your career as fast as possible. Good advice. Carl, you may go to the toilet. No, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed today. It's been delightful having you here. I've loved it. Thank, so up front. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.